God, we do thank you today that you have promised us that if you're for us, then who can stand against us? And I know in reality, God, we're, we're, we're in a battle. Life is coming at us from all different directions. There are challenges before us. There are choices to make. But God, thank you for that promise that when we walk with you, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. You're with us through every trial. You're with us through every circumstance. And we thank you today for your presence with us here as we, as we worship you. We gather for no other reason today than to lift up your name and give praise to you and, and give glory to you. And I know, God, for those here today who have been going through tough challenges this week, I thank you that you've brought us here. You've brought us here to be encouraged. You brought us here to encourage your heart with the faith of our life and the faithfulness of our worship to you. And so thank you, God, for the opportunity now to continue to just praise you and celebrate you and worship you through the power of your word. I pray that your word would come to life today in us in a fresh new way. God, we need a fresh new word from you. We need the power of your spirit to take your word, which is a never changing word and bring it to life in us today. And so we look forward to that as we continue our journey of worship now and more than anything, we just pray that your name will continue to be exalted and lifted up, that you will draw us to you so that we can lift up our praises to you and glorify you today in our worship experience. Thank you for allowing us to be here to celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. As we're being seated, children, you can feel free to go to your classes now and uh, continue your worship in, in a special environment. Uh, a month or so ago, we, we, we began a family worship experience, and I hope you're excited about seeing children around you worship. Uh, I hope you know, and it's no pressure on you, but I hope you know that they're looking at you, they're watching you uh, to learn how to worship and how to celebrate and how to give praise to the Lord. And so uh, we're, th we're thankful for our families and thankful for the opportunity to have family worship time together. I encourage you to open your Bible now to Psalm 119. If you're new here today, uh, we've been on a journey uh, in the last month and a half of working our way through Psalm 119. So open your Bible to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 has uh, 22 stanzas. Uh, each stanza uh, begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and each verse in that stanza begins with that same verse in the Hebrew alphabet. And so we have 22 stanzas, uh, and so we find ourselves today uh, on that journey working our way through Psalm 119. So keep your Bible open and follow with us as we go through the text today. Uh, just like the psalmist, I think you would agree with me that we live in a crazy world. Uh, we live in a world that's constantly changing. I continue to be amazed at what the term heaven on earth means to many people today. Uh, for example, the first sip of coffee early in the morning to some people would be heaven on earth. Uh, to some young moms who have three preschool children, Heaven on earth for you might be to wake up in the middle of the night and not hear any sounds 
and look at the clock and realize that you have two more hours to sleep. <laughs> that may be heaven on earth to some young moms today. Um, for some, heaven on earth may be telling someone, I love you, and hear them actually say and mean back to you, I love you too. Um, if I were to ask you today what you would describe as heaven on earth, what would you say? Well, my prayer is that at the end of working through this psalm today, we'll come to an agreement on what heaven on earth really looks like, what heaven on earth is. The, in Psalm 57 and verse 5, the Bible says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory shine all over the earth. Uh, heaven on earth is seeing God's glory come to this earth. In Psalm 73, 25, the Bible says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire more than you. And so for the psalmist, heaven on earth was keeping God as the highest priority in his life. Is that you today? Are you experiencing that kind of life today? Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, we looked at earlier this year, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so for Jesus, heaven-bound believers find most satisfaction in living life connected to God's heart through His Word. Heaven on earth is knowing God through the Bible and then obeying what He asks us to do. It's just that simple. So God guides His servants as we seek to find Him and connect with Him and obey Him to bring heaven to earth. In these three stanzas of Psalm 119, verses 105 to 128, we see that heaven on earth is possible. And we're going to look at three reasons today why heaven on earth in your life today can be a real possibility. First of all, Reason number one, God guides His servants. In verse 105 of Psalm 119, the Bible says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, God guides His servants in this dark world that we live. Now, in the Bible, darkness is associated with uh, running away from God, living apart from God. Darkness is living in the context of sin, even living in the context of Satan himself. And so in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11, the Bible says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Well, how do you do that? How do you expose darkness in our world today? Well, you expose darkness in our world today through living according to God's Word. God's Word is like a flashlight that shines a light on things that we are to be aware of and even avoid in life. And so when we live life according to God's Word, we, we, we accept the truth of His Word as kind of like warning signs to avoid some things in life to keep us from falling into danger. In fact, in, in the book of Colossians chapter 3, 
Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 5, listen to some examples of what it means to walk in darkness. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So do you, do you hear the, the darkness that the world is pulling us to, pulling us away from the light of God, pulling us into the darkness of the domain of Satan? But again, the Bible is like a spotlight to guide us out of darkness, to show us areas where we can avoid darkness. Uh, I wake up very early in the morning, most of the time before daylight. And I'll grab my dog and I'll head down the stairs. And I have this, this little, little light on my watch. It's amazing how much light is provided out of just this little, little shot and watch as I, as I walk down the stairs. Uh, Gail has told me often one of her biggest fears is me falling down the stairs and hurting the dog. And I don't want to do that. I definitely don't want to do that. And so I follow carefully the light that, you know, is there. But God's Word is not like just a little light on my watch. I mean, God's Word is like a spotlight to shine light in dangerous spots that are maybe potentially coming my way or to guide me around the dangerous spots in life and, and that kind of thing. So the Bible is the guide to those who believe in God's Word, believe in God, have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 106. He says, I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. So it's critical for believers in Christ, for those who want to follow God, to live according to His rules. They're there to protect us, and they're also there so that in walking according to His righteous rules, we can shine glory to Him and give glory to Him. Uh, in fact, it's critical for you and me to live according to the standard of God's Word and to follow those rules that He's given us to walk according to. It's for our good. Uh, God's true servants live truly godly lives. So how do you find out how to live a godly life? Well, you find out how to live a godly life through His Word. Now, are we going to be perfect? No, there's not a person on planet Earth today who's ever going to be perfect. But when we violate God's law, when we sin, God's Holy Spirit will convict us if we're a believer and we have an opportunity to confess that sin and repent of that sin and turn away from our sin and turn back to following God's commandments and God's laws. So the Bible encourages us to live a life that's godly according to His standard. Our desire, or as the psalmist puts here, our oath is to submit to the will of God and to submit to 
God expressing himself to us through the Bible and giving us direction, giving us a lighted way, a lighted way to our path so we don't stumble in the darkness. His righteous rules and instructions are, are like guardrails as well as lights to keep us on a path that is godly and keep us on a path that is according to his righteous rules. So the psalmist also says that God guides his servants when we're under affliction. Now, this is, this is important today because if you're not under some kind of affliction right now, you're going to be. And so you, you need this wis, wisdom from the psalmist today. Look at verse 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Now, here's a guy who's wanting to walk after the heart of God. Here's a guy who's wanting to please God with all of his life. And he cries out to God and he says, God, I'm afflicted. I'm severely afflicted. But then where does he turn to find the source to work through that affliction? He says, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. And so when I am being afflicted, when you're being afflicted, turn to God's word for encouragement. Look at verse 109. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. Again, he's turning to God's word to take control of his life and lead him through the affliction that he's going through. In 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Are you aware? There is a tempter out there to take you down. And your defense against the temptation of Satan is God's word. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. How do you do that? Well, you draw near to God through the precepts of His Word. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So the psalmist says in verse uh, 108 and 111, Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. The psalmist reminds us that the remedy for overcoming pain, the remedy for overcoming oppression is to give joyful praise to God. Now, that is not logical according to the way of the world. You're never going to see that or read that in a book about uh, overcoming oppression or overcoming pain by giving joyful praise to God. But the psalmist directs us there. He directs us to God's heart, to God's word, to find encouragement when we're oppressed. To find encouragement when, when we struggle with, with pain. And so offering joyful praise to God is not circumstantial. It doesn't depend on what is happening or what is not happening. When things are going great for me, when I win in life, I give joyful praise to God. When I'm in pain, when I'm suffering, when I'm being oppressed, I give joyful praise to God. And what does that do? That gives me an opportunity to glorify God through my oppression. It gives me the opportunity to glorify God 
as a reaction to the pain that I'm experiencing. Let me give you two examples. Right now, one of my friends here at the beach is struggling with pancreatic cancer. Uh, the diagnosis, the prognosis is not good. She knows that she has a dread disease that's going to take her life unless God works a miracle. So every morning, rather than complaining, rather than burying herself in her bed, in a room, that kind of thing, she opens up the windows and she looks out at God's creation. And here is the testimony of her life. She says, God, thank you for putting me in a world and an environment and letting me live this long to enjoy your creation. I can't wait until I pass through the door that's going to take me from this life to actually see you face to face. She's taken the opportunity to give glory to God in the midst of her oppression, in the midst of her disease. John Piper, some of you may have heard of John Piper. He wrote a little booklet the night before he was going to have uh, surgery for cancer. He wrote this little book. Uh, it's called Don't Waste Your Cancer. And the theme, the purpose of the book is to give glory to God even in the midst of oppression, even in the midst of having a, a dread diagnosis and prognosis like cancer. And so from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible guides you and me to Jesus in our affliction. God has given us a solution to make Him known even in the midst of our oppression, even in the midst of our pain. So let me ask you again, where do you find heaven on earth? Well, you can find it in the Bible because the Bible leads you to Jesus. Reason number one, heaven on earth is because it guides your servant, uh, God's servants to Jesus. Um, reason number two that heaven on earth is possible is that God sustains His servants. Look at verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. So God sustains His servants in the midst of persecutors attacks and some persecutors are double-minded people um, you know what Jesus called these kinds of persecutors in his day he called them hypocrites he called them hypocrites they were people who put on masks they stated that they were believers in God they believed in God and yet their actions were far from it in fact, the Bible says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So double-minded hypocrites, the Bible says, are dangerous. We need to watch out for them. See, it's one thing to say that you're a Christian. It's another thing to live a godly life and through your life, let the world see that even under oppression, even in pain, even in challenging times, you're consistent in your walk in the law of the Lord in the Bible. Also, there's a warning here. Be careful who you listen to for advice in your life. Uh, 
I would challenge you to check all theology and all philosophy against the Word of God. Make sure that your standard is not something that makes you feel good, not makes you feel comfortable all the time. Make, that, that seems to be right and easy until you compare it to God's Word and make sure it's consistent with the Bible. Um, then there, there are other serious attacks that come our way. Attacks uh, can be defended, though, with a shield. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. God's word, the Bible, is a shield to protect you when the, the enemy's fire, the enemy's bullets are coming at you. When you drive your car, you don't think about this, but in the front of you and your face in your car is a windshield. That windshield is to keep a rock from flying out from under a car and knocking your teeth out. I mean, it, it protects you. It, it keeps you from damage. That's what God's Word is for the believer. God's Word is a shield, the psalmist says. Uh, you're my hiding place. You're my shield. And I hope in your Word. I was praying over this message this week, and I received an email from a dear friend and partner in ministry. Uh, in fact, this church helped launch his ministry 15 years ago, and now it's truly become a worldwide ministry. Uh, they're thriving churches in hard places around the world under this ministry. Here's part of the message. It caught my attention because it said, urgent prayer request. He said, I began receiving texts early this morning about unrest in one of our cities. It's making the news. Radical mobs have been stirred up by a charge of blasphemy against Christians. A number of Christian churches are being burned. A number of homes of Christians are being burned. And a number of Christians are being physically attacked. Please pray for good to win over evil. Please pray for divine protection for families, leaders, and churches. Please pray for the church not to lose heart. Now, I redacted a name, the names and uh, a number of the cities that are involved here from this email because of danger uh, of persecution for these believers, for these churches. Dear brothers and sisters, Palmetto Shores, this is real. Persecution in our world today is not just something that happened in the past. It literally is happening today. And persecution has a defense and has a purpose in God's mind and in God's, work, God's way. Uh, it occurred to me, though, that as, as, as I read this, that, that Jesus promised peace in the midst of persecution. Now, again, that sounds crazy, that these believers can be physically being persecuted, watching their houses burn, watching their churches burn. 
and still be in the midst of that persecution drawn closer and closer and closer to the heart of their creator God. How can that be? Well, that can only happen if your faith is genuine and if their faith is grounded in God's word and grounded in God's promises for his will to be done. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, in fact, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have to get our theology straight on this one. Heaven on earth is not living life without persecution. In fact, it occurred to me this week that if, if I'm not being persecuted for the gospel, I'm probably not doing a good job sharing the gospel. I'm probably not standing up with the message of Jesus like I should be. Because Jesus promised us in John chapter 17 that in this world you will have tribulation. But I've overcome the world. I've come to give you peace in the middle of tribulation, John 16, says. So again, the psalmist was victorious over evildoers by living in God's word, by keeping the commandments of God. And so you as a believer today must know and obey the Bible in order to overcome evildoers and understand that God sustains His children in the middle of persecution, in the middle of oppression. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he do? God had given them clear instructions not to eat of a particular tree. They chose the way of the world rather than God's word. And my prayer for you and me today is that we will not make that same choice because that was a really bad choice for them that has come down through the generations and affected all of us. And what you do with your life is going to affect other people as well. People are looking. People are watching. And when tough times come, when persecution comes, or when oppression comes, when illness comes, when heartache comes, and you're squeezed, the psalmist was saying, I want God's Word to come out. I want Jesus to come out in you and in me. This week, some of us had the opportunity to go over and literally drive through all the buildings around Coastal Carolina University and pray. And a part of that prayer is, as Gail and I prayed for the students at Coastal Carolina University, a part of that prayer was that that God would protect students coming to that campus from wolves that are out there to lead them into darkness and that they would be able to see the light of God's Word through, through people who were willing to stand up and be counted for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true on our high school campuses. That's true on every campus, college, high school, whatever, around our country and around our world. So again, when Satan tempts you to move toward darkness, when he oppresses you, when persecutors come after you, stand on God's word, 
so that your light can shine for the glory of God. In verse 116 of Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. So there, there are two lifelines to grab onto when we're under persecution, when we're under oppression. One is, is God's promises. The other is God's statutes. God's statutes are not going to change. Like I said earlier in the message, this world is ever-changing. We need something to hold on to that's going to be stable, secure, solid. And that's the Word of God. We, we, we want to understand that there's no need to ever lose hope. The psalmist prayed and asked God not to allow him to, to, to lose hope. And, you know, our lives are like, like batteries. Uh, we get drained down every day. And what do you do when a battery gets drained down? Well, you recharge it. You charge it up. And that's the way our lives are, are designed by God, to be, to be recharged by the Word of God, to stand alone on the Word of God and let daily and many times a day, let His Word permeate our mind and change the way we feel and change our actions by being charged by the Word of God. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Now hang on here a minute. When Isaiah wrote this passage, Israel was in exile. They were going through persecution. They were going through a time of not only physical persecution, but because of their sin, because of their actions, they had been separated from the presence of God. And Isaiah, in the middle of that, sends them this encouraging message. He says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Do you see the picture here? It's a picture of, of being recharged in the middle of discouragement in the middle of oppression, in the middle of persecution. God's Word, the Bible, is like a fresh spring. He says, let your bones be strong. Uh, let, you, let you be like a, a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. What a beautiful picture of being recharged by God. And so this stanza concludes in Psalm 118 through, uh, verse 118 through verse 20. God satisfies His servants through judgment. Now this is a hard truth. Listen to the word of the Lord. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore... I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Judgment is real. See, see, God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is faithful. And because He is perfect, He has to judge sin. 
Because sin is the enemy against God. And so he has to judge sin. He can't overlook it. He can't sniff at it. He must judge it. God commands all people to repent when we sin against him. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, listen to what the Bible says. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. One day, you and I are going to be judged. We're going to stand before God. And we're either going to be judged in what we think are our good deeds, or we're going to be judged in the righteousness of Jesus. See, here's the picture. God came to this earth, left heaven, came to this earth, lived as a man, Jesus. He lived a perfect life. At the end of his life, he was tortured. He was sped upon. He was mocked and ridiculed. A crown of thorns were put on his head. Then he was stripped naked and hung on a cruel cross. And his blood was shed for your sin and my sin. And what God did in Jesus going through that torturous experience was he took your judgment for sin on himself. And he exchanged what should have been your judgment for his righteousness. So he makes you righteous when you put your faith and trust in him. And at the same time, he takes your judgment. He, he was punished and judged for your sin. So you don't have to stand in fear before God on this earth or in heaven when you put your faith in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a good deal in my mind. Because one day you will be judged and you're either going to be judged on your merit, which is not going to stand up before God, or you can be judged on the merit of Jesus and He's going to look at you as righteous, just like Jesus is righteous. The songwriter got it right. He said, what can wash away my sin? And the Bible says it so clearly. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He is our righteousness. So God guides His servants through the Bible, and God sustains His servants through the Bible. And finally, heaven on earth is possible because God strengthens His servants through the Bible. He does that in three ways. In verse 121, this last stanza, He says, I've done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. And so we've already talked about this, but the first way God encourages us through His Word is He strengthens His servants under persecution, under oppression. It may be strange to look for heaven on earth when you're under oppression. But that's the best time to give glory to God with our life. That's what Jesus did. Jesus demonstrated God's love most clearly under oppression. And when you're being oppressed, you can give glory to God. He gives us the opportunity to be just like Jesus and give glory to God through 
the, the, the valley of oppression. So God strengthens his servants under oppression. Then in verses 123 to 125, God strengthens his servants with salvation. He said, my eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. So the Bible clearly paints the picture that your salvation... See, the, the psalmist can only forecast this. He can only look forward to see this. We can look at it in the rearview mirror and see that, that Jesus became the salvation of God for us. And so we can trust Him. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is available to you and me for our salvation. In the early 1800s, there was a man named Edward Moat, who grew up on the streets of London. His parents ran a pub in London, and so he was often left without any kind of guidance, any kind of direction from his parents whatsoever, so he hit the streets. And the formative years of his life, he, he ended up in a lot of dark places. He ended up in a lot of trouble. Uh, he ended up in some times that he looked back on later and regretted. But when he was 18 years old, somebody cared enough about him to share the gospel with him. And Edward Moat gave his life to Jesus. And everything in his life then radically changed. He began to grow as a believer in Christ. And when he was age 37, here's what he wrote. He said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. He spent the rest of his life trying to find people on the streets and share the gospel with them so they could have the same kind of experience that, that he had. He knew what salvation was all, all about. And I trust and pray that you know what salvation is all about today because you have experienced the truth of the gospel by accepting Jesus, by putting your trust and your faith in Jesus as well. And then finally and ultimately, God strengthens his servants with justice. And we've already talked about this a little bit, but listen to what the psalmist, how he concludes this stanza. He said, it's time for the Lord to act. Wake up, God. It's time for you to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Wake up, God. There are people out there who are abusing your commandments who are running in darkness, who are drawing other people in darkness, who are pulling students rather than standing up for Jesus, abandoning Jesus. There are wolves out there among sheep. Wake up, God. He says, oh, okay. You've given us your commandments. You've given us your truth. You've given us the Bible, the light of your word. The psalmist was turning to God's Word when he realized the reality of the condition around him.
And so he said, I hate every false way. And I do too. I hope you do too. I hope you hate the, the, the things of the world that are trying to pull us away from God. And love the Bible above gold, above fine gold. See, all the money in the world can't solve injustice. All the money in the world can't solve the problems of this world. All the money in the world can't bring happiness and satisfaction and joy to people. The greatest crime ever committed was when God left heaven and came to earth. Jesus became the Savior of the world and He was rejected, tortured, and ultimately crucified. There's been no injustice greater than that. And yet through that injustice, the Bible teaches us that God turned it around and let it become the greatest blessing that this world could ever know. And today Jesus wants to give you His strength. He wants you to understand that His strength can overcome any injustice that you might encounter. So where can you find heaven on earth? Well, in the Bible, because the Bible leads you to Jesus. The Bible guides, the Bible sustains, the Bible strengthens God's servants. The Bible leads you to Jesus. And I trust that you've committed your life to know Jesus and make all of life about Him. That's why our church is set on bringing heaven on earth to our members. That's why we stand on the truth of the Word of God. So what is heaven on earth to you? I trust and pray that heaven on earth now for you is knowing God through the Bible and being willing to trust Him fully. Being willing to obey Him to provide that light for you as you walk through this dark world. In Acts chapter 7, the church was just getting off the ground, just... Um, just catching wind and check, catching some legs. And, and God called everyday ordinary people just like you and me to become servant leaders in His church. Not apostles, not preachers, just everyday ordinary servants. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, there's a story of a man named Stephen. And Stephen was persecuted to the point of death. His life was taken. He was martyred for the gospel's sake. And the last two things that, that Stephen said, first of all, he said he looked up to heaven and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's heaven on earth. When your life can be passing from you by persecutors. And you can look up to heaven and you can see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's heaven on earth. But then the last thing he said was, Father, do not hold this sin to their charge. That's heaven on earth. For, for you to be receiving severe pain from persecutors. And be able to look to heaven and say, God, 
Don't hold this sin to their charge. Where did he get that from? Well, he got it from his model. He got it from Jesus. He knew the testimony of Jesus. And for you and me today, the same is true. Heaven on earth for us is when we can look to heaven and say, I see Jesus. Heaven on earth for you and me is when we are being persecuted, when we are in pain, being persecuted by disease or pain or even somebody else. We can say, Father, don't hold this sin to their charge. God, I thank you today for calling us through this psalm and through all three of these stanzas of this psalm to plant our feet firmly in the truth of your word and let heaven on earth for us be to read your word, to study your word, to apply your word to our life, to walk in the truth of your word and let your word point us to Jesus because we need Jesus more than ever. And I pray that none of us would go, go away from here today without knowing Jesus and committing our life to experiencing heaven on earth through the power of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.